So this is the second of, of four kind of planned messages to help us kind of understand. Um, we've, we've been talking a lot in the book of Acts how it is the, um, the Great Commission in action or the Holy Spirit's work in, um, in, in making the Great Commission um, actionable. And one of the things that we've done over the past few weeks is have these cards and say, you know, invite people uh, to come to Resurrection Day service that they might hear about new life in Jesus. And one of the things that that this guy was talking about was that on Resurrection Day service, you know, the, the as the church gathers, they say, he is risen. And then the congregation says he is risen indeed. And uh, he, he didn't want, he was like, I, I don't know what that is. And I don't make much sense of that. And it got me thinking about how, how kind of sometimes the things that we say, the things that we do as Christians don't really, we don't re- ever unfold them for uh, those that we are trying to reach with the gospel. We, we say things like, he is risen. Why is it that Christians then respond with um, risen indeed? Why do they respond with that? Why is it that, that they find that his life has that much meaning to their own, right? And it got me thinking, we need to unfold this a bit as a church to think about who is Jesus, right? Who is he? Who is Jesus? Say, well, you know, all you need to do is you need to repent and believe in Jesus. Well, who is Jesus? Who is he? It's a big question, and we don't often unpack that. Like, who is he? So what I want to do uh, this Sunday is unpack that a little bit from um, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And so, as is our custom, we'll read the passage, and after we've prayed for the Holy Spirit's guidance, then we will uh, read the text, uh, exposing line by line uh, and making applications as we go. So this is kind of a topical teaching, which is not my normal mode. The normal mode is to take a book of the Bible and unfold it. Um, I will unfold this passage, so it will be expositional um, in its application, but... I'm starting with a premise, and that is, how do we communicate who Jesus is? So let's pray. Father in heaven, by grace, we ask that you would lead us in the study of your word this morning. We pray that as we enter into our season of celebration concerning the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that your spirit would give us boldness to introduce a world to the excellencies of knowing Jesus. By grace, we ask that this morning's message would introduce Jesus, maybe for the first time to one who has gathered among us or who will listen to the preaching of your word online. We pray this morning uh, for our church and for the church that gathers at Dilly Bible. We pray for boldness, clarity, and precision in the preaching of your word this morning. Ask all of these things in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. As you are able, would you stand for the reading of the inerrant, infallible Word of God from the Gospel according to John, 
chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is God's Word. You may be seated. So I'm going to pose a, a question to us this morning. Well, first, before I pose that question, just dawned on me as we were singing this morning that um, Vadi Bakum, if you know who he is, a great preacher, he said one time, he said, the church is in love with a Jesus that they don't know very well. And I, I read those words a couple weeks ago, and that just sort of marinated with me as I was thinking about this passage this morning. People are in love with a Jesus that they don't even really know, that they don't know him. Well, I want to ask you this and, and ask yourself this too. How, how do you want to be known? How do you want to be known? How would you introduce yourself if you really wanted somebody to know you? You could tell them your name, but would you be known? You could tell them your occupation, but they would only know what you do. They wouldn't really know who you are. You could tell them about your family background or your heritage, but would they know you? They would know where you came from, but they don't know who you are. If I wanted to introduce myself in such a way as to be known, it might go something like this. I am prone to disobedience. My heart builds up idols upon which to worship. I seek approval from the world and my family. I often wander away from the truth. I'm sometimes concerned with myself without regard to others. That's only part of who I am. Now I'll tell you another part of who I am. I am being made new. My life no longer belongs to me. I am growing in faith. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. By his death, I have been purchased from this world and my sin has been forgiven. By Christ's death, I have been reconciled to God. The wrath that I deserved has been poured out on Jesus. I am loved of God. I am working out my salvation with fear and trembling. The glory of God has become my life's aim. And so, I want to introduce to you this morning Jesus in a fuller way. And I want you to be able to introduce people to Jesus in a fuller way. Because what is evangelism? Didn't we talk about this a couple of weeks ago? That evangelism is, is, is really having a conversation. It's a conversation to be had. It is a conversation that you have. But who do you talk about? The Sunday school answer is the right answer, kids. Okay? Who do you talk about? You talk about Jesus. But who is he? I think we need to introduce people to, to who he is. Because we can talk about Christ and talk about how he has transformed our lives and we can talk about ourselves. But in the end, what do they know? They know him. They know you. 
You end up talking about yourself so much that they only know you, they don't know him. You kind of introduced him, sort of, but you made the conversation about what he's done for you. So the conversation is about them getting to know you. A conversation, an evangelistic conversation, is about getting people to know who Jesus is, who he is, and what he's done, and what he is able to do for them. Because you know what they might answer you if you explain who Jesus is and what he's done for you? You know what they might say? Well, good for you. And that would be the end of it. Good for you. Well, no, it's good for you too. See, because I want to tell you who he is, right? Well, so the apostle uh, John who penned this account, he uh, defines himself as the disciple that Jesus loves. John says his own personal identity is that he is loved by Jesus. In this account, his concern is that his hearers would come to know Jesus. John gives us this aim in chapter 20. I'm going to turn there and read verses uh, 30 and 31. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But he tells us the purpose of this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This account is written that you might believe that Jesus is the anointed one, he, that he was sent from God, the one who was and the one who is needed for salvation. More than mere knowledge of the facts of Jesus, John desires that the hearers would come to know Jesus in an experiential way, in that they would experience him in a, in a saving way, that through faith and knowing Jesus, they would have eternal life. And this is our job. And we, ask, we should ask ourselves, well, who is sufficient for such things? Who is sufficient that, that I might make Jesus known to you? I tell you what I know, I tell you what the scriptures say about him, and then I trust the Holy Spirit to make him known to you, to make him known to your soul in a saving way, in an experiential way, right? But we want it to be about Jesus, that you might know him. The Holy Spirit is the one who is sufficient to make Jesus known in an experienced way. Through the preaching of God, God's word and through yours and through my verbal testimony, we are the instruments of introduction. We introduce people to a person. How do you know that the Bible is real? How do you know? Well, we can talk to a person and say, um, I'll take you through the history of the canon and how it came to be. I could talk with you about the authenticity of and the integrity of many copies of the Dead Sea Scrolls and how it came to pass. I could talk about how the word of God has survived a couple millennia. But this I know in the depths of my soul that on the pages of Scripture, I have not merely been educated about the things of God, but on the pages of this book, I met a person the person of Jesus Christ. My knowledge of him is tangible. It's as real of a relationship of a person. I know Jesus in, the, in a real, tangible way, as tangible as I know John Roberts, as tangible as I know my wife. Because on the pages of Scripture, I met a person. And that person 
is Jesus Christ. So as we travel together through our time this morning, we'll see that the Sunday school answer, as I said, is often the best answer. And in uh, most cases, really, it is our only answer. Jesus Christ is our answer. His personhood, his deity, his sacrifice, his love, his life, his way, his truth. See, for the Christian, he is our one defense. When our unbelieving friends see us and, and, and uh, they see us fail, they see us stumble, and they accuse us of being imperfect, the answer to that criticism is Jesus. We say, as 1 John says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in, in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. See, the, the, the Christian defense is not to boast in our own piety or our own religiosity or our own righteousness, but we have one defense, and our defense, our righteousness, is a righteousness that has been accounted to us, but a righteousness that doesn't belong to us. It, is, it has been accounted to us, but it belongs to Christ himself. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 30 and 31 says this, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. See, for a Christian, our defense is the righteousness of Christ. It's not our, we, we don't defend ourselves. If it was up to us to defend ourselves, you know what the world says about us is right. It's right. They say, oh, well, I can't go to church because uh, church is full of hypocrites who say one thing and do another. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I don't declare my own righteousness. What I declare to you is the righteousness of Christ. I declare that he says that if I confess my sins to him, that he is faithful and he is just to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. He is my righteousness. I rest my right righteousness on him. I boast in him. I don't boast in myself. I have freedom, brother, that you don't have. That would be my defense. Our defense is Jesus. The sacrifice that he made, taking upon himself our sin, emptying himself, that, that you then would be declared righteousness, righteous, right? In him. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says, For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, that is in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. If you're here with us this morning or you're listening online and you are not with Jesus, you have no defense. You cannot plead with God that your good deeds outnumber the bad. I've got 51% good and I'm 49% bad, but at least I broke the halfway point. So you got to take me in. You can't plead this. You can't plead that you are more morally upright than the other Christians that you know. 
The only defense that God will accept is the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The only way is the way of the cross where Jesus died. The only truth is a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ by faith. The only life acceptable to the Father is a life that is hidden in His Son. The only declaration acceptable to God is Jesus Christ and His righteousness. So I want to introduce to you Jesus Christ this morning. And for the church at Spring Hill, may we take this introduction to our neighbors, to our co-workers, family members in this season that we celebrate the resurrection. May we just deliver uh, an introduction who Jesus is and trust God to give grace in revealing to them the Jesus who saves through faith. See, our message is this. It is only Jesus, and it's always Jesus. I want to take just a second and draw your attention to, to these little things right here. As Northwest people, we are kind of shy, in a sense. We're kind of individuals. We keep to ourselves. As, as, as Northwesterners, we kind of like... I have my thing and you have your thing and I don't want to kind of invade your thing, right? And so we may not be so able to have conversations or we may feel like it's an invasion or maybe we just don't know the words. I have these little things right here. These are very helpful to have the conversation, whether you give this to a person or not. But if you read it and you kind of understand it, it gives you a way to introduce a person to Jesus. And so I have a pile of those available for you out there. Another one that is very helpful is what is the gospel? What is good news? Helps you take them through that. Who is Jesus? What is the good news? And then another conversation you may have. These are three very simple conversations that we have a lot with our unbelieving friends. You know, why do you trust in the Bible? And sometimes we don't have words to say, or we don't have time, maybe. We might hand them one of these and say, this is why I trust in the Bible. What is the gospel? Here it is, succinctly. Who is Jesus? Here it is, succinctly. So these, these may help. But what also may help is if you tune your ears to hear what the scripture is going to say to us this morning, and you take that to heart, this may help you introduce people to Jesus because that is what John's aim is here in this gospel. Is he wants to introduce a lost world that they would know Jesus and they would come to know him in a saving way. So, who is Jesus? In the beginning was the word and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word. So one of the most important words that we're going to see in our text this morning as we're introduced to Jesus is the word was. The Greek word emi, translated was. It means a continuing action presently as it always has been. So when it says that in the beginning was the word, it is a present action that always has been, and it's, it's, it's continuing actively as I speak. In the beginning was the word. Jesus never all of a sudden became the word. Jesus is the word presently. As 
He always has been. Jesus was and is presently the pre-existing Word. And the Word was with God. The English translation does not do too much justice to and the Word was with God. But the meaning is proston theon. The Word was with God means that the Word, Jesus Christ, is a distinct person was and is face-to-face -face engaging in intelligent discourse and intimate relationship to the Father. And the Word was with God. A distinct person, face-to-face, -face, engaging in discourse and relationship with the Father. The Word, then, is a person and not an attribute, not an emanation, as the oneness movement of the Pentecostal church would have their people believe. It's not an attribute or an emanation. The Word is a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. And the Word was God. Again, the Greek phrase will help us here, theos and logos, which is to say that though of a distinct personhood from the Father and the Spirit, the Word, the person of Jesus, is co-eternal with the Father. Jesus is co-equal with the Father. Jesus is God. This is a non-negotiable of the Christian faith and our confession. To say that Jesus is God is to declare that the truth about God is knowable. Think about that. The truth about God is knowable. If we think about Jesus and we're introducing him to somebody, he is God. He is knowable. He is knowable. We go through the Gospels with people and say, look, he had relationships with people. He was known to them personally. He is a knowable person. And he was. And we go back to that definition of was. It is a present action that always was and always will be. He is a person. He is knowable. Jesus is God, a knowable God. You can know him. To know Jesus is God's is to say that you know what God is like, that it can be known. It can be known to know what it is that God is like. To know the Lord Jesus is to know God. There's no knowledge of God apart from the knowledge of Jesus Christ. No knowledge of God apart from the knowledge of Jesus Christ. There's no knowledge of Jesus Christ apart from the knowledge of the Word of God, the Bible. We must use the Scriptures when we're telling people about who Jesus is, introducing them to them. You, you, can, you can know God. I mean, that's what a great thing to say to somebody. You can know God. He is knowable. Because Jesus, the Word, He is God, a distinct person. And the Word, the Bible, is telling you about who He is. You can know Him in an experiential way, even just from reading the words of the, of the Scripture. You can know Him. And He wants to be known. He was in the beginning with God, verse 2. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Continuing in eternity past to the present and the future, Jesus was. Jesus is not the Father's plan B for the redemption of His people. Jesus was with God in creation. 
Jesus is co-equal with the Father in all things created from the beginning. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus is the beginning and the end. Jesus never became the Word. He was the Word from the beginning. In Him was life, verse 4, and the life was the light of men. Jesus, the Word, is the way, the truth, and the life. Without the word, there is no knowing. Without the way, there is no going. Without the life given by the word, Jesus Christ, there is no living. The salvation of God's eternal life is illuminated and found in the person of Jesus Christ. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The light of God that shone forth from the beginning of creation in the person of Jesus is still the light, the light which brings uh, God's salvation in the dark, in the sin-sick, God-rejecting world that we live in today. Jesus, the light that has burned from eternity past, is still burning. He is the light of God. He is God's plan of salvation. Jesus was the light of God's plan of salvation and by continuing action is the light that brings salvation to men today. The darkest place in the world. Where is the darkest place in the world? Darkest place in the world is the darkness of the human heart. The heart of the human problem is a problem of the human heart as Stephen Lawson often says. I love, I love that, that phrase, and I'll repeat it. The heart of the human problem is a problem of the human heart. It is the darkest place in the universe. Only the light of Jesus Christ can shine and overwhelm that darkness. As he says here, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That other versions say comprehended it. It is this idea that, that, that no, no evil can thwart the light of God. When God wants to reveal that light to a person that he saves, there's nothing that can, that can overtake it. There's no darkness. There's no, no place too dark for God's light to shine. The darkness of the human heart, it will not comp comprehend the light without an intervention from God. See, to know Jesus is experiential. It is relational. Life and light are in Jesus. The Logos, the Word. Read elsewhere in Scripture and it'll tell you this, that the flesh is no help at all. The flesh is no help at all to know Jesus. It is no help. Amazingly, God uses human agents who have been transformed by the light of Jesus to testify to that light, to introduce, to introduce Jesus, that, that God would bring his chosen people to the light and that life uh, is found only in Jesus Christ by grace through faith to the glory of God alone. And I might remind you, friends, that we do all of our evangelism in a graveyard. All of our evangelism is done in a graveyard. We speak life giving truth to dead souls. We speak life to dead souls. We speak light in dark places. It is God who saves. See, we must know that. The flesh is no help at all. 
We do all of our evangelism in a graveyard and we must speak life to dead, dry bones. And our message is this, it's only Jesus. It's always been Jesus. He, for us, is our one defense. He is your only defense. You will not go before God at all unless you go in Christ. If you go before God on your own, you're undone. You have serious problems. That's what we speak. That's the life-giving message we speak. It sounds harsh and hateful, doesn't it? That's what you get accused of, as being harsh and hateful. Narrow-minded bigots. Yes, I am. I'm narrow-minded. I'm narrow-minded enough to say that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. That if you go before God without Him, you are undone. You have problems. You have a problem. And the Sunday school answer is the right answer. It's Jesus. Do you want to know Him? Know who He is. In the beginning. That means before there was a beginning, by the way. From eternity past, he was the word. The very logical thought of God was personified in him. This is who he is. Our message is Jesus. He's your one defense. His righteousness alone received by faith that is imputed or deposited into your account through the death of Jesus Christ for your sin. That is your one defense. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. Without the way, there is no going, as I said before, but this is from Thomas Akempis. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. And without the life, there is no living. This morning, if you reject the light that's been exposed to you this morning, then guess what? Right now, you sit accountable. You sit accountable. You who reject Jesus as the Savior today, who do you have to blame? Only yourself. You have only yourself to blame. Joe and I were talking uh, last week about that thought of the wailing and gnashing of teeth. Right? And what is that? The wailing is, 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 the, is the guy who, who waited too late and wouldn't repent and he, he sees that he's been separated from God and he's like, oh my goodness, what did I do? It's too late, right? He's weeping. The gnashing of teeth is, how dare you, God? There, there are two kinds who, if they reject God, they're either going to wail and bemoan their loss or they fight out at God and blame Him for it. But who is to blame? If you have heard the gospel, and see, here, you know, we can feel hesitant about that truth, right? About declaring that to our friends and our neighbors who are lost. We can feel really kind of hesitant about that because if I tell them the gospel and I'm clear about who Jesus is, it's on them. It's on them. They can't claim ignorance. They can't blame God. And they certainly cannot blame me. They can't say I withheld the truth from them. They've only got one to blame when they go before holy God. They only have themselves to blame at that point. Those who reject Jesus as Savior have only themselves to blame. And I'll tell you that if you have rejected Jesus and you still want to and you still want to continue and love your sin 
so much that you will reject him. And you've listened to me preach this this morning, either here or you'll hear it online. I'm going to tell you this. I am a firsthand witness to the light and I introduced you to Jesus. And now you have no excuse. None. You have no excuse. 